0: Oh, I don't think I lost you. Hello? Yeah, you there? Yep, I'm here now. Okay. Yeah, it was starting
1: the recording. Oh, okay. Cool, cool. I want to go ahead and get that going? Help? We can. I can always edit out the beginning if need be. Sure. So, what's going on, JJ? How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing good. It's just, I'm excited to be here. You know, just uh putting a, a lot of work into music. It's kind of cool to, you know, got to get somebody's attention, you know. So I do appreciate being here, and I am grateful to be here. So thank you.
1: Trust me, I fully understand. My band hasn't even gotten anything recorded as of yet. We're still
0: <laughs> just gigging a little bit once in a
1: while here and there where we can and uh, singing, writing new stuff. So we hope, for, hope to get that started here pretty soon. I know you just had a had one single drop recently, and you've got another one that's uh, it's already hit a couple of uh, services, but it's not quite on Spotify yet. Where I was looking earlier today, what was that first one called that you had dropped already?
0: Yeah, the first one came out. Uh, I believe the it it really went live like two days ago. That one was called Round and Round, and then uh, the second one is called Casting Stones, and that one. <laughs> Just went live, I think, this morning. Honestly. Oh, you said it's on Amazon right now. It's yeah, it's on Amazon. It's actually on Apple Music now, and then you know, should be Spotify in the next couple days. Awesome, man. Um,
1: let's backtrack a little bit because if people are trying to look you up, they might need to know the band's name.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> your new the, band name you just settled on. Go ahead. What'd you say? Oh, no, I was saying. I was saying. What, what is your band? New band name. Well, we just came up with a new name, um, you know, to being a couple friends of mine. Um, we just came up with the name, uh, the Louisiana project, um, no affiliation with the state Louisiana. It's actually, uh, kind of built off of, uh, we had a friend of ours in high school, uh, that was his last name, Louisiana. And he ended up having very serious issues with mental illness and ended up, uh, living on the streets and we honestly all thought he had passed away and uh we just found out um a couple months ago he was still alive and uh i'd written a song about him and my friend uh james myers he's he's one of the percussionists um involved with this project he's like man that that just he's like he just came up with the louisiana project he thought it meant so much more than just somebody's name and uh he explained to me he says you know it kind of kind of to me it means something because that perseverance through life and you know everyone goes through difficult times and stuff and then to just find out after everyone kind of writes you off that you're still around he's like it's kind of how i feel like our music is right now you know because we're you know in our mid 40s and it's like we were all musicians back in the day and musician you know music started to kind of feel like it was dead for a while and all of a sudden now it's back to life so I kind of, I understood where he was coming from and I kind of can associate to that feeling myself, you know? That is a great for a band name, man. I I'm I sorry? A story even half as good. So that's,
1: can you hear me Will?
0: Yeah, it breaks in a little bit here and there, but for the most part.
1: Yeah, you, you're breaking up too. I think it's my probably my internet connection. is kind of a little sketchy at times. I was All saying right. I, that's a great name for a band name. Um, it's oh. a great story for a band name. I wish I had anything even remotely close to that for my man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's it's funny. It just it just happened. You know what I mean? It just he just threw it out there one day, and like, man, that that's that's pretty pretty strong. You know, and considering the the different types of music. What's that? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I (laughs) said considering all the different uh, types of music that we're really going for finding a name that really kind of encapsulated all of the different types of music that, that really, it fit, you know, cause we're doing a lot of different stuff.
1: Yeah. It, it doesn't seem to just automatically lend itself to anything. Does it? Some, some band names would, I mean, you can't have a band name like Metallica and, and start doing um, country songs.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> I guess you could, <laughs> but it would be weird. You need to get a following of a few million people before you can pull that one off. Yeah, even then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even, and then it's a stretch. I, I agree. <laughs>
1: yeah. A lot of that following be like, what in the world?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> My band name, of course, I, I joined this band last year. Um, actually, it wasn't last year. Now we're into 2021. That was... And I joined for about three years already at that time. But so I didn't have any, you know, any say in the naming of the band, but it was just a thing where they were kind of throwing around words and kind of
0: mash something together. Like,
1: hey that sounds pretty cool. So you know, I like it, it man. Stuck, so.
0: I like that as trust kills, you know, I mean it's there's a depth to it, you know, that uh, you know you kinda you kinda look at it and it, it's one of those names that it makes you kinda stop and think and it's a name that could mean something different to every single person that hears it. You know, I'm really into that type of stuff. You know, kind of a, you know, not a play on words, but you know, you know words that are put together that make everybody kind of have their own meaning. Is that that's hard to accomplish? I think that's cool.
1: And it was again just one of those moments of serendipity that it, you know, kind of like you, your yours is just one of those moments. Just. So my first band, we were just called 957. And it was kind of an unusual number. Like, oh, was that your area code or something? But actually, our bass player, he had lost his younger brother a year or so earlier. And uh uh motorcycles, like cross-country motorcycle racing. And his number on his motorcycle was 957. Oh, that's, that's
0: cool. So. Yeah, you know, I used to but, get caught up in thinking so much about what are, what is this name going to mean to people, you know, and, and yeah, I had a couple of good band names here and there in the past, you know, that I'd had new low, um, you know, some other stuff misled, um, you know, but just simple names. But finally this time it was like, you know, I'm gonna, I think we should look inward instead of outward to find the right name and, uh, it's made, made a difference, you know?
1: Absolutely, I mean, like it doesn't necessarily have to mean anything to anyone. I mean, what did Google mean to anyone before it came around? Or what did Coca Cola mean to anyone before it came around? Or Budweiser, Budweiser, I think was a a town in Germany. You know, these words had no real meaning. No one associated um, Copenhagen with a snuff. They associated it with a town. You know.
0: Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. right and that that you know that's like music it's like i was thinking today it's i tend to be overly critical when i record you know and sometimes i'll i'll go through and just it's like beating a dead horse i'll go over and over and over and and it's like you miss one little tone here one little tone there and you know uh i started realizing it's like you know you start thinking back like eric clapton's one of my one of my favorites you know that that's an you know an older generation than i am and it's like when that guy wrote Uh, you know, when that guy wrote some of his hits, it's like those songs didn't exist before he wrote, you know, Layla didn't exist until it came on his guitar. You know what I mean? And, and everybody looks at it now like, Oh, it's always been there. Well, no, it's just, just like a name, you know, it's like, it's what goes along with that, that you put into it, that, that makes it special. Absolutely. That's a great analogy. I think that's good for songs, right? And I think that's good for all artists. You know, it's you or me or anybody else. It's like if you're writing a song, if you get overly critical, you can tend to one of two things: you can overthink a song, or you can quit. You know, but if you just kind of take a step back and just let the song breathe and have life it'll show you what direction to go with it eventually, you know? And um, you actually turn out better music that way, you know, by almost simplifying and taking a step back to make things, you know, make it easier, less complicated and not so serious. I mean, obviously there's a serious side to making a production, but you got to take the overly seriousness side away from it in order to really accomplish what you're shooting for. Because good music is, is, Kind of from the hip, you know, it's it kind of a it's just it just is thrown out there,
1: yeah. And, uh, along with that, is you know, have people a lot of times will like uh, sit and pick at it, pick at it, and spend like I've heard of some artists want to spend like a year or two, or we've even seen big name artists spend ye- years trying to just right. It's like, well, tool could you know wait 12 years or whatever it was between albums. And they're still okay. It's like, Yeah, but you're not tool. <laughs> so right. If you take five years to put this out, you people have um, forgotten about you by then. You know, you need to get get this. It'd be better to get out something that's not exactly what you would hope the grand, you know, the gr- big grand image of it would be, and get something out there. You can always go do a remix of it or another version of it, a remaster version or whatever later, and
0: uh, but get it out there so people don't
1: just forget who you
0: even are. Right. Well, and if you think about why we all started playing music, and I guess I can associate that. My my, I have a son that's fourteen that plays highly competitive baseball, and it's like we got to a point with him where he was like, "It's just so serious now," and I'm like, "You know what? Grab the wiffle ball and the wiffle ball bat. Let's go out front and let's just let's just play around." And we started doing that a couple times a week, and it's like it's all of a sudden he's like, "Thanks, Dad. He's like, it's fun again." And I go, you didn't start playing baseball because of the serious side of it. You started playing baseball because you and I were playing wiffle ball in the front yard when you were three, four, five years old. It's the same thing with music, you know. We didn't start jamming in the garage so we could sit there and stress out and pull our hair out. We started jamming in the garage because it was fun to just strum a couple chords and have a drummer buddy jamming along with you. And you know what I mean? It's like that's what music really is supposed to be. If you get too wrapped up in being too serious, you you're, you're going to suffocate it. I think.
1: Yeah, I guess, I think that's probably why a lot of bands, some of their first album or two, or some of their best work, because it was still raw and they hadn't quite fine tuned everything. When they get they get that the kinks worked out, you know, yeah, maybe musically and critically a little bit better album later on. It just doesn't have the same feel to it as that early work.
0: Right. Right. And that's, I think, and I think that what you're talking about, that result, is from taking some of the fun out of it,
1: you know? sure, when you're doing it all day, every day, and you play that same song a hundred times in the last year, like every night, it's going to get old after a while, I'm sure.
0: Right, right. Well, that's one thing, um, you know, I was watching that documentary um, about Rush. Um, Gosh, I forget what it was called, but, um, you know... And I'm just paraphrasing here, but Neil Peart, they asked him about uh, Tom Sawyer. And basically he says, yeah, I get fan mail of people asking me, is that song still fun to play? And he says, you know, it's been 30 years, and still when I play that song live and we're done, I feel like I've accomplished something. So yes, I still enjoy playing that song. You know, and it just it just kind of spoke to me. It was like, look, when you're writing your songs, it should be fun from point A to point Z. And if any of those parts aren't fun, work on it till it is fun. So that every time you play it, you can just enjoy it, you know. Because if you're not enjoying playing it, people aren't going to enjoy hearing you play it, you know. Absolutely. That's great.
1: You know, because you hear a lot of you hear stories about bands, like I remember on some YouTube video I was watching, that it, That was the whole thing about artists that dislike their songs or their hit songs or whatever, and like, for example, the only one I remember was Oasis can't stand the song Wonderwall, and that's like the one song that everybody, even if you're not an Oasis fan, like, I, that's like the only song I really know of theirs, um, everybody wants to hear that one, and they, the, the, the band members just hated it. They, they didn't, they couldn't stand playing that song kind of sad when it gets to that point. Like, I, I could. S- a lot more turmoil in that band. Right, but
0: I, right, but I can. S- that
1: go ahead. Where you don't, you have that song you don't like, and you have to go out there and play it every night. Like, man, can we like put something else in the set instead of that one?
0: <laughs> Right, right. Well, I know that uh I can. I, you know, I can't relate to that because obviously I've never had a hit with that type of success or anything even near it, but. You know, I used to play a a buddy of mine. We used to do a duet and we just him and I, we'd go play like bars and restaurants when I was in my early 20s, you know, before I met my wife and uh, you're going in there playing cover songs and basically playing what the bar wants you to play rather than what you want to play. And it just got to a point where I just did not want to even look at my guitar at a certain point because there was nothing fun about what I was doing. It was strictly for money. And I just wasn't enjoying it. And I could just see that I could see if you were asked to play the same song a million times. You'd be and if and if you especially if you didn't create it as a challenging song, like why would you want to play it? You know, it just it sucks. And then now you're forced to play it because everyone wants to hear it and that's why you get paid, that would be awful. That'd be a pretty rough experience to to go through.
1: Yeah, I've never been in the cover band Uh, I don't even know very many cover songs I I know a few but I never really bothered learning a whole lot um and I I just can't see doing it myself because it's not something that I would enjoy
0: yeah it was very short-lived I think you and I are very similar in that way it lasted about a year and a half and that was it it just it just wasn't me it just, just was not what I wanted to do it turned what I was having fun into a job
1: They say if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. But yeah, if you do what you love, what you love is making your own music. It's not playing somebody else's. It's hard to make that determination. Like some people, I guess they can get turned off by music because it wasn't exactly what they wanted to do, and they they didn't didn't really realize that. I know several people over the years that had been in cover bands, you know, here and there, and just and kind of faded away from it because it just wasn't really working for them
0: yeah and that know,
1: if they'd gotten with the group that, you know, doing some original work maybe they would have stuck with it more you
0: never know. right right i you know it's like i don't know you know I've i have an uncle that plays guitar and i know that you know he's just that type of person that he wants to have the music in front of him and he wants to learn stuff that's already been out there. And I get that. You know, he started later in life and that's all he he wants out of it. And he really enjoys it. And he appreciates guitar. He appreciates what I do, but that's just his thing. And I can appreciate that. But I can also appreciate the fact that I grew up wanting to write music and create and stuff. And he appreciates that about me because he can see it, you know. And and there's just a different, it's a different type of love. It's I would say it's an equal love, but it's a different type of love and it sounds like you and i are very similar it's like man i just it wouldn't be worth playing if all i could do is play everybody else's stuff you know don't get me wrong there's some songs that are fun to play but there's just something about on being on the creative side of it that just very fulfilling when you finally pull off a couple riffs that just come together the right way you know as you know and when they just tie together and you're like yeah that's it there's just something very satisfying about that beyond any cover i've ever learned
1: yeah, exactly. When you first hit that moment where like the whole band is all in sync and you nail that, those like staccato moments where everybody has to be right on time or doesn't work, and you nail that in the practice room, it's like, oh, I had that that feeling is just great.
0: Yep, yep. My uncle, I have another uncle that plays as well, and then he he actually was had had you know a mild level of success as a drummer, and that was one thing he always told me. He's kind of the you know. I had two family members get me started in music, and he's kind of the one that helped me learn the guitar. And he was like, "Man, just there's, he's all there's nothing else that you can do in life where you can just start strumming a couple chords with three other musicians around you, and then you all go on the same trip for five or ten minutes or however long the song is, and you all finish and you all just basically experienced the same emotion at the same time and went through the same like mental trip." At the same time, he's like, you can't do that with anything else. It's just impossible, you know, because you have to literally be synced up timing wise for it to sound right. You know, I just thought that was kind of a cool thing the way he used to always say that. He still says it when I see him. It's kind of cool.
1: Very profound. I agree.
0: <laughs> You've
1: got a lot of musical in your family, sounds like that.
0: Yeah, I have uh let's see a cousin of mine he's actually my mom's cousin he's the one that really got me started in in rock i was playing like clarinet at like eight years old in the school band because i knew that i had family members that uh had played uh, you know school band instruments So i thought that was cool but he was the one he was like a drummer in a rock band at the time and I remember, I think I was staying at his house at like nine. And I'm like, oh, I'd love to learn the drums. I don't even think he told his wife we were leaving. He put me in the car to go drive over to the music shop to go buy me drumsticks and a practice pad. Oh, that's cool. So from that age on, it pretty much, it's always, there's always been some sort of family support, you know.
1: That's awesome. My, my dad had a guitar when I was growing up. He had a, he had a guitar he yeah chords, and he knew a few songs he had learned when he was a teenager, but he never really went in. We always had a piano, and my mom played, and she did, she just for amateur, you know, she was just an amateur player, and she could read music and play along with it, but never took it anywhere beyond that. It's just it's a hobby thing for both of them. And, uh, my little brother also plays a little bit, but for him, again, it's like a hobby, and for me, it was for a long time until I was, uh, I was kind of 40 when I finally started getting serious about I think I should really try to actually learn what I'm doing on this thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I started out the same way, though. I was playing no, it,
1: saxophone in middle school.
0: <laughs> That's what I wanted to play, but they were all taken. So I was stuck to the clarinet. The teacher yeah, sold me was, on it and said, oh, this is the closest was, thing to the saxophone.
1: yeah okay i'll go with
0: (laughs) it you know just the fingering and stuff but looking back i think she just needed a clarinet player i'm sure that's what it was
1: (laughs) (laughs) actually i found out from a girl i was seeing in high school that the flute had the
0: exact saxophone
1: Oh really? The clarinet is actually more different from the saxophone than the flute is fingering wise.
0: Oh, I had no idea.
1: I didn't either until then. I was like, oh wow! Well, she showed me how to do it. and I started playing something on it. I was like, "Oh, that's cool." I haven't touched a flute since, but
0: that's still cool. I never, I never knew that, huh? My 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 older boy played saxophone in the band for a couple years. That was eight or nine years ago. But uh, I didn't even then. I didn't even didn't even cross my mind that they might be related. It's Funny how that works. Yeah.
1: My daughter is a, a drummer now, but she hasn't been drumming much in the last year or two because she her school doesn't have a band. to trade or to last year. Her, her mother changed her schools, and they don't have a band, but they had choir, so she started singing now. So now she's Oh,
0: okay. Dance. Anything, anything that keeps you involved, you know, anything that keeps Absolutely. your mind working towards being musical.
1: And she loves it. She's really analytical, too, kind of like myself. So she'll sit and listen, listen, break down the metaphor of what they're actually trying talking about. And just, I mean, she's deep into it. I'm trying to get her into some, you know, a little bit more about listening to the, the musicality and the notes and the theory behind it and all that, too. So, She's, she's really digging on it
0: yeah that's all how is, how old is she 13 13 yep oh that's cool and Just, the fact that she's starting to like break down what the song's actually about lyrically too i don't think i really started doing that until i was in high school you know
1: yeah same here. i think honestly still to this day i'm the lyrics are one of the last things I really pay much attention to. When I hear a new song, I'm I'm all about the instrumentation. But not her. She, like I could just listen to an intr- instrumental track and be happy with it. She wants words. She's like, I need I need the words, I need the lyrics, I need, it need the meaning. I need
0: yeah, I'm I'm uh I'm I'm what's that?
1: I was just telling her that shows you where you need to need to be focusing then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if that's what catches her attention and she's into it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, maybe she becomes a great lyricist, you know, that's uh, I'm like you. I kind of didn't really care about the words until I got older and I really didn't didn't buy into how important words and depth of words was until probably. Gosh, probably my mid 30s is when I really was like, wow, this is. This is this is where the power of a song can really come from. Next to the energy you create playing, you know, the music, the the words can change everything. You know, definitely. I mean, you could turn a very mellow, slow, calm song into a very powerful message if you say the right thing at the right time. And uh, when I realized that, I just, I. I started shifting my focus. I'm like, man, I I need to learn how, not only how to sing, but I need to learn how to write lyrics that actually can make an impact and make people think. You know, I just didn't want to sing about the same stuff everybody else sings about. I want to sing about something that means something. Of course, and,
1: because you're the creative type, and it, it makes perfect sense.
0: Right, right. Yeah, it might cost me a couple fans in the long run, but. I'd rather be who I am and be content with that than try to be somebody else and have more fans. You know, that that's not as important to me as knowing that I was true to the music I'm creating.
1: Yeah, and true to yourself. I mean, that, that's you've got to be authentic. If you're not authentic, people will start to see you that. You might fool some people for a while, but it's going to come through and and longevity just it's not there.
0: Right. Right. It reminds me of, uh, I watched that movie, uh, Rocket Man with, with, uh, you know, the movie about, um, yeah. Bad Elton, John. Yeah. Yeah. About John. And it was like, you know, I looked at my wife or we watching that. I go, I loved it. I love seeing somebody that is just so unique and so themselves and so comfortable with being that person that they understand that being that person is what ultimately is going to help them to create the best music. You know, he didn't get famous trying to be Freddie Mercury or anybody else. He got famous trying to be the person that he knew was inside of him. You know, and I think when that, we all that do that. Really
1: good, uh, what,
0: what's that? I'm,
1: go ahead. i was just saying that was, a, that was a good movie. I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I, I loved seeing that. I just I loved seeing that, you know, and there obviously there's a part where he's kind of hiding from himself and his. You know, his orientation on one side of it, which I guess during that day I totally understand, but he never hid from who he really was. And and I think that ultimately makes you create the best music. And then you start looking around, and it's like, well, Freddie Mercury, you watched that movie, same thing. He never hid from who he was as a musician. You know, and then you start thinking, well, the, gosh, you can start going into a lot of different people. Look at Robert Plant. That guy never hid from who he was was as a musician, you know, as a vocalist, like these great front men. People always think, oh, he's flamboyant or he's this or he's that. It's like, well he's that way because that's just who he is. And that's why it comes out through his music. It's not because he's trying to put on a show. You know, you could tell who's trying to put on a show and who's really being, who being who be themselves, you know? And usually usually you see the difference. Usually a, a real star is just trying to be them. They're not trying to be a star. And that's what I'm always impressed that, with.
1: My favorite scene in that um, that movie, um, the one about um, was at, when he was at dinner near the, towards the end. There, when he had dinner with his mom, and she was being critical and whatnot. He finally just laid it all out to her, and was just completely honest and laid it all on the table. All the, uh, the sex he would had, all the drugs he had done, and everything—done I've done every kind of drug known to man. You know, this—that this, this, that was, that was the, the most authentic moment ever. I think that I've ever seen depicted on film. That was just—it was just great for him to just just lay it all out there for her like that. And just watch her, her expression, as she just she's sitting there, slack jaw, can't believe what she's hearing.
0: Right, <laughs> and I think that what's great is it's he was able to get that out through his music. It was like, I am gonna be me, no matter how hard it hits you because I'm not afraid of who I am. And I, I think mean, his
1: mother is the exact opposite. She was r-
0: his mother right, was,
1: the that was afraid of who she was and just didn't want anybody to see or know the truth about her son or herself. She just wanted to to put on a facade. And, and he was just like, just throw it out there. Said, nope. That's, that's not happening here.
0: <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, and that's kind of the old school. I, I grew up with my grandparents, you know, I mean, I, I could go into my history a little bit. Um, you know, I, I was born to a single mom, uh, didn't know my father until um, August of this year, which is a whole nother story, um, but grew up with my grandparents and same thing. Grandpa was just a very honest, hardworking guy. Put your nose down, do what you got to do, be responsible, take care of your family. Um, he was very, you know, and that's who he was. So there was never hiding anything. And so I learned that from him. It's like, there's no reason to hide anything if you're a genuine person, you know? And, and my grandma was the same way. It was like, just be who you are. Just, I love you no matter who you are, be yourself and be honest and, and be this, you know, but there was also a little bit of that side cause they kind of came from the old school, you know, both born and grandpa born in the twenties. And my grandma was born in the thirties. There was that side of them too, where it was, Hey, um, there are certain things that you just don't let people know about, you know? And it was like, well, why why should anything be a secret? You know, it just, I, I don't know for me, I guess, I guess I get that from, from growing up with them and kind of bouncing around between when my mom decided she wanted to be my mom and when she didn't, you know, you get bouncing back and forth. Well, I had to tell my story over and over and over again to both sides so that everyone could be up to date with where I was as a human being, you know? But um, yeah, there's an there's an old school side of that where everybody just uh, you know there's just something about you just don't talk about that in public. You know what I mean? It's like I think that's where people like uh, you know Freddie Mercury and people like uh, Elton John they broke free and said, "Well, why not? Why is that so important to keep that inside?" And and I think I agree to a sense, you know, with what they came out and said.
1: Absolutely. Please. Again, it's just back to just being authentic. Right. Authentic- authenticity wins all the time. It, it, it always will. It, you, you might get some temporary wins by faking it, but it's never
0: going to last. Right. I mean, on- honesty, you're never going to go wrong being honest, you know? Never.
1: Even that hurts sometimes. It, 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 hey, ain't
0: that the truth? <laughs> We've all been there. I mean, um, it,
1: I'd like to unpack that story another time with you here. It's quite a rabbit hole. We can go down for a, for a while.
0: Sure. We'll
1: save that for the next time.
0: All right. No problem. What time is it there? Is it? I guess you're two hours ahead, right?
1: Yeah, I'm. We're, I'm in Central Time, it's almost a quarter after seven here right now.
0: Okay. Okay. It's,
1: it's still clear. I'm sorry. You're just after five o'clock.
0: Yeah, about a quarter after. Yeah. So.
1: No. You're in California. Where are you at again?
0: We are in San Bernardino. I'm not sure if you know where that is. We're about 50 okay. miles east of LA. So the yeah, ble- I knew it
1: was around that neighborhood somewhere.
0: Yeah, so the 10 freeway that that runs through San Antonio, El Paso, San Antonio. We're only about five miles north of the 10 freeway out here.
1: Okay, yeah, I know. Yeah, I've, I've traveled most of that I-10 I between here and there.
0: Okay. Okay, yeah, I, d- I drove through there once.
1: <laughs> I was stationed in San Diego when I was in my military days, in my early
0: 20s. So okay, I what... Down uh, quite a few times. Were you in the Navy? Yes. Okay. Had a cousin that was down there for a while. He's a year younger than I am. He's 43 right now. He was on a nuclear sub.
1: I was originally nuclear designated, but I wound up washing out of the nuclear program before I managed to get out to sea, so I went up with a conventional surface ship instead. So. Oh,
0: okay, okay. Yeah, I think you got to be a special person to be a Nuki sub guy. My cousin is, he's very, uh, he, he can handle isolation very well. He's very introverted. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong, around me he can be outgoing and a loving guy, but on the most part, like in general consensus, he's pretty... Pretty introverted, which seems to be the type of personality it would take to survive in a small environment like that underwater.
1: Yeah, I probably probably would have thrived in that, but it just wasn't (laughs) meant to be. Before that, I wound up getting family vacation when I was about 13. We went out and we did the whole we went to San Diego for a couple days and hit the zoo down there and, and. did down there and we went up north and went in LA and we went to Disneyland, and we went to the Universal Studios and all that kind of good
0: stuff. And, oh, okay,
1: and came back, circled back through Vegas on our way back to Texas. And it was a fun trip.
0: I bet you said you were how old?
1: 13. My okay, age.
0: oh wow, what doesn't that put things into perspective?
1: Long time ago, this year. <laughs>
0: So doesn't that put things into perspective when you say it was your daughter's age?
1: It really does. Like, oh, yeah, my, that's how old my daughter is now.
0: Wow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> of course, I got a late start. I was 36 before my daughter was born. I turned
0: 50 later this year. So. Oh, wow. Oh, okay.
1: 13 was a long time ago for me. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So you're, you're 49, you said then, huh? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm 44. You said October? Until October. Got it.
1: Until October, yep.
0: Okay, yeah, I'll be 45 in May. That's not too bad. No, no. I got the gray hair to show, but I still feel pretty young.
1: Me too. I got quite a bit of it. Every time I get my hair cut, it seems like there's more and more, but (laughs) I earned every one of them.
0: Yeah, that's how I feel too. These weren't just given to me. Oh, no.
1: <laughs> I did my part. I every one of them and wear them proudly.
0: How long were you in the military? I just did my part before I got out. Well, thank you for your service. It's much appreciated. Thank you.
1: I was back during the Desert Storm era. I was actually in boot camp during the 100 hours of Desert Storm. When that, actually, oh. when that happened, I was in boot camp at the
0: time. Okay. Was that 1992? 91.
1: Okay. I graduated in 90, and it was the following January that I shipped off to boot camp.
0: And that's when you were out here in San Diego, correct?
1: Later, I actually went to boot camp in Orlando. Oh,
0: okay. Okay.
1: All the way across the country to San Diego after that.
0: Do they still train in Orlando? No, as a matter of fact, they closed,
1: they had, they used to back then, they had three different uh, recruit training facilities, one in San Diego, one in Orlando, and one outside Chicago Great Lakes, and the Chicago one's the only one that's left now.
0: All oh, recruits okay. go, to, go to Great Lakes. Oh, I didn't know that. So they don't go to San Diego anymore, huh?
1: Oh, not new recruits that don't. They closed down the recruit training Area over there, and I believe they closed down the entire base at Orlando. Like, there's nothing even there anymore. That was what so they might have, so they have that school, the Navy Nuclear Power School, I all there, and that. And that makes there, but they don't have the recruit side of it anymore.
0: Oh, okay, well, I know we went to Florida last year for some of my son's baseball and. I was just amazed with how many Air Force bases there are everywhere. Because we don't have hardly any of those out here.
1: Really? There's several of them around this area.
0: Yeah, we have one, I think one or two out here, but Florida. I mean, we drove down the east coast of Florida, and there's the big one just south of Orlando. And then we were just in Panama City in October, and there's the other one there. And it just just thought that was kind of cool. I like seeing, you know, the airplanes flying by and the helicopters, and I think that's cool. It's cool to see their presence. Yeah, I
1: know there's a Air Force base out west of Dallas-Fort Worth quite a ways near Am- um, Abilene, and south down in San Antonio there's one. There's a Naval Air Station just outside of Fort Worth over here, so we have a few around the area.
0: Okay. Yeah, we didn't get, we drove, my wife and I went to, okay, yeah, we were out there a couple years ago, we drove into Dallas to go down to Austin, we ended up seeing Eric Church in Austin, and so we flew into Dallas to go see him play down there, didn't didn't get much time out there in Dallas, but we spent one night, you know, kind of going out and checking out, you know, local restaurants and bars and stuff, it was kind of fun like that i want to get back up there sometime
1: the whole dallas fort worth area is just it's so massive <laughs> we yes all out, out out here it's not like it's just like new york or chicago where everything goes vertical we just sprawl well like y'all do out there in california it's the same way
0: yeah it's so. still impressive i'm not gonna lie you know we fly into i've flown into dallas probably four or five times in the last four years and Every time it's just, I just cannot believe how big and how, how spread out it is. It just, it's, it just blows my mind. It's its a really impressive.
1: And it just keeps expanding too. Never <laughs> ending. Dallas and Fort Worth used to be quite a way away from each other, all completely filled in. Except for like in? right near where I live. I, I live on the east side of Fort Worth right now. And so it's kind of like in between. And I can go like within a mile or two of my apartment here and I'm in a little area where there's some houses with some land and horses and stuff. It's just really weird. But like you go 10 minutes, 10 minutes either way, You 10 minutes, 15 minutes one way you're in Dallas ten fifteen 15 minutes the other way you're downtown Fort Worth. And here we are with like pasture and horses.
0: Yeah. That's, kind of that's, that's what I love about it out there. You know, every time we go out there, I'll be honest, we drove when we drove down to go Sierra church in Austin, we obviously, you know, we stopped uh, in Waco and we did, you know, some of that stuff, but I definitely had uh, my eyes open to see if there was anything available. I mean, that, I think there's, Texas is definitely high on my list for when I decide to retire and move. That's one place I think I will I could end up. I just, I just liked it out there. It like every time, every time I go out there, it's a great experience. What's that?
1: A lot of people, a lot of Californians having that idea as of late.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's funny because there was a meme going around out here, and it said that, uh, what does say, Texas has issued a stay-at-home order for all Californians. <laughs> but I get it, you know, I, I get it. Look, well, after you know,
1: Toyota moved here several years ago, we moved their big North American headquarters from California here, and then. Um, Joe Rogan left L.A. to go to to Austin and set up shop. They're going to open a new club and kind of kind of try to re- recreate what was happening at the Comedy Store down here. Uh, Elon Musk just moved and is moving part of their stuff over here also. And, yeah, he's and talking about moving the whole plant. Oracle, yeah, now Oracle has just announced that they're moving to Austin.
0: It, it, I tell you what, running my own business, Austin is way more business friendly than california i mean it just it's like it was almost like the day i went into business for myself i put the noose around my neck and it was nice and loose so it wasn't that big a deal but as the years have gone on it's like they're slowly pulling the knot tighter you know and it's just it's getting to a point where it's like good lord how long am i going to really go through this you know but that's California for it. You know, I, I look. I grew up here. I love it here. I've always been here, but I definitely am very open to moving on to to a new place. You know, we've looked at Texas. We've been to Tennessee. Been to Florida. You know, kind of all over the place. I like I like Texas so far the best. We really like Austin. We really had a good time there multiple times.
1: Will you hear here during the summer, because you might not like it quite so much. (laughs) Yeah, I have
0: been there in the summer. summer. (laughs) No, I'll admit that. It's always been, you know, fall or early spring.
1: When it's been, you know, 15 days of high temperatures, around like 8 to 115 degrees, um, 80, 90 percent humidity, it gets, it wears on you after a while.
0: (laughs) That's why maybe we'll keep the home in California. (laughs) <laughs> get out of yeah, there in me. the summertime
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's why i want a place up in colorado so i can like, go up there in the summer and, and chill
0: cooler. right right yeah that'd be that that's the way down now we're talking it, it gets up about 105 110 here during the summertime but it's not humid yeah,
1: yeah that's that. That's worse. And it's bad up here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but you go down around Houston, and oh, my God. That, you could, it, it's so humid, you almost swim out to your car.
0: <laughs> yeah, I haven't been there. been to New Orleans, and then obviously, like, Orlando. And, was about yeah, it was about the same. Yeah, it was very humid there. We went there for Mardi Gras when I was, like, 20, 24. And I remember just getting out of the airport, like, oh, my gosh, this can't be real, you know. It was. <laughs> Oh
1: yeah, I've only been to New Orleans in October a couple of times. And it was like on a Tuesday night in October, you can barely walk down the street. I can't even imagine what that place is like on Martin. It
0: was, it was something to see. I have never seen a place that crowded in my life. Still, except Disneyland, that's the only place I've ever been that I've seen it that crowded, and only a small portion of Disneyland.
1: Okay, say, Yeah, about that. I haven't been to Disneyland in many years, but I I remember it was just nonstop people everywhere.
0: Oh, I when someone says, oh, hey, let's go to Disneyland. It's like most people are like, "Yay!" I just get that feeling in my gut. Like, oh, please, no, please don't let it be. It's just I just don't not it's not my thing. I don't do well in huge crowds like that. Like, I, I don't mind if it's spaced out, but everyone's crammed together like that i can i can get frustrated pretty easy
1: i want to take my kids so she has a chance to experience it but I mean, i've been there i've seen it i'm
0: good <laughs> yeah 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 i know the only time i'll go is uh, if we're gonna do it it's like all right kids are missing school for a day hopefully it's overcast maybe even possibly drizzling a little bit then i at least know it's going to be to a minimum. Anything other than that, it's just, I mean, you're shoulder to shoulder and, you know, half of the park.
1: See, I'd probably rather go to Disney World than in Florida. I've been to both, and it's been, of course, been a long time since either. Over 20 years since, it's been close to 30 years since I was, wow, okay. (laughs)
0: <laughs> anyway, <laughs> another thing, put I it into perspective. To go to
1: Florida because there's so much more there to do. There's, you know, you, there was so landlocked there in Anaheim that there was no expanding. But down in Florida, they've got Epcot Center, they've got a big water park, and all kinds of other stuff there too. So there's just more to see and do at the, the one in Florida.
0: Yeah, and the great thing is there's all the neighboring parks too. You know, there's so much stuff going on around there in Orlando. It's not just disneyland anaheim like you said it's so limited it's like you got a few things but once you get out about a mile away it's like you don't even know disneyland's there
1: yeah i remember that like that was weird i was 13 and we we were driving through la and suddenly you pull into this parking lot and it's like oh wow there's disneyland (laughs) You couldn't see it from two blocks back, but all of a sudden you can see the there. You, there's the Matterhorn, and oh, here's the gates, and there's the oh, there's the castle. Oh, this is it, right here in the middle of <laughs> town. It's, it's not what you picture when you you know you're a kid, and you've seen the you know, wonderful world of Disney on TV back in the day and all that, and you get there and it's just like a downtown busy street. And you pull in and oh, here we are.
0: Yeah, well, when I grew up, Disneyland was in the ghetto. I mean, it was like you didn't park your car anywhere but in the Disneyland parking lot because you were worried it getting broken into, what kind of people you're going to run into. It was just, it was a bad neighborhood. And I think that's why he put it there is because it was cheap land because everyone knew it was like that. Probably. But, uh, so your band, you guys aren't, uh you guys, how often are you guys practicing right now?
1: We're at once a week right now. Uh, once in a while, we'll do a second, you know, second session later in the week. We practice every Monday night. And once in a while, we'll throw in a Thursday night session here and there, but typically just once a week.
0: Okay. How many guys are in the band with you?
1: We're a five-piece now.
0: Okay. Yeah, I listen to some two of your stuff. Uh, go ahead. I'm
1: saying we have two guitars, one. Basis, uh, drummer and a, and a singer.
0: Okay. And now I I guess I have to ask what 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 are you, what do you do in the band? Are you are you playing guitar? Yeah, I'm rhythm guitar. Okay. I, I, I was one solo. You so what? I'm one. sorry.
1: Out of about eleven twelve songs we have, I have one solo.
0: So. Is that by choice or <laughs> never... is that just the way it worked out?
1: Well. For a while there, I was the only guitar player until Flip, our other guitar player, he had been a member long before I was. He had to leave because of other obligations. He was in two bands and the other one was touring and he just couldn't make time for this one, so he had to draw off it. But that one dissolved and he came back just late last year, so now we have the both of us there. So, he was able to take over most of the, the lead duties because I'm not really much of a lead player. I'm just really trying to learn, but there was one that I really worked on while he was gone, and I kind of worked up a pretty decent solo for. So I still play that one. I'm thinking mm, one out of every ten to twelve songs. Uh, that, that seems like a pretty good pace for me.
0: By now. Yeah. Hey, that's where it starts, you know. That's uh, I was the same way. I remember doing. We'd have a set of like fifteen songs. I think two of them would have a solo in very short ones. You know, because uh, be before when I first started doing soloing, it was like, I was so like it had to be perfect. I had to have something like down that I played the same way every time. And, uh, so it just worked out that way, you know, two, two out of like 15 set song list. That was perfect for me. I didn't have, you know, I didn't, I, I, I knew that I could handle what, what, what was on my plate, you know, that's, uh, nothing wrong with that, you know?
1: I sat down and worked on this one because like, I had never I never even learned solos, like copying solos from some of the people I like to listen to over the years. I just found soloing to be exceptionally intimidating. So I never even bothered trying to learn until I started learning a little bit about, you know, scale shapes and how this stuff works. And I'm like, oh, okay, that kind of took a little bit of the mystery out of it because it just seemed so random before that. I was like, how, how, what are they doing? I don't understand this. But once I started learning a little bit about it, then... I, this one song I needed to work up. We had another one that had a solo in it that I was playing before Flip came back, and it it was it's a lot easier. It wasn't that big a deal, but this one I had to sit down and work on for like hours. I, I probably had 12 to 15 hours worth of work on that one dang solo just to get it right. And it's, I still wind up doing different stuff every time I play it. So.
0: Sure. Well, that's the beauty you get around to recording it of the solo, you know. Once you, uh, you kind of get a solo put together and you know your parts, then that's... I, I got really into doing improvisation when I got, like, in my later high school years, like my junior, senior year in high school, and then a few years after high school, I got into to where I had spent so much time, you know, learning the scales and learning how to play. I got into, like, playing some blues and some jazz stuff, and I really got into doing a lot of improvisation and and so I did that for a lot of years and, and to be honest, it was kind of my lazy side coming through. Cause it was like, well, I don't have to have any structure. I can just go off and start playing notes and, 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 uh, sometimes it sounded great. And sometimes it didn't, you know, <laughs> but, uh, as it progresses, yeah, no, like yeah, you know, just noodling around, throwing some stuff out there, throwing down some scales. And then obviously you do it enough. You start to pick up some different patterns that work and, different patterns up the neck, different patterns down the neck. And then, um, you know, obviously you have small deviations in those, but as I started to get better at the improvisation, I started to realize that the structure that which you've experienced putting all that effort into the structure, I learned, well, wait a minute, there's an art to combining the two of them, having a structure and knowing which parts of that structure I can improvise through and which parts of the structure have to be solid and like start with the song and finish the part and you know so I really started to kind of work on trying to put the two of those things together you know and that's kind of the evolution of a solo really I think I think when you start to realize hey I can do my beginning I can get my end and then you have a couple middle parts that are key like through some chord changes and you know the scales after a while you can start just kind of you know messing around with it And then now a step further, you get to the point where now you do that in the writing process. I write a couple riffs that I'm stuck to in the beginning and at the end and in the middle, and then I start doing the improvisations and that brings out the other parts. So for now, like for the first time in my life, it's funny, I've kind of gone back to the way I've started with solos where every solo that you hear that I put out now, I can duplicate that over and over and over and over again. But the creation process to get to that point involved not only did it involve the hours, like you talked about, of the structuring and, and, and having the structure down, but also involved hours of improvisation through the certain parts that I, I wanted to explore all of my options before I solidified it and, and, and made it, you know, set. And um, so, yeah, that, that's awesome. You know, that, that structure that you focus so much on that, that's your step to, to getting better at it, you know, and then the other thing is if you're practicing your scales and learning how to walk around now, you're, those are your first two major steps and really becoming, you know, the, really getting the ability to be a good soloist, you know, yep. but I can understand the Take- intimidation side of it too.
1: Yeah, I was into the heavier stuff back in the day. So I mean, I was watching people like um, soloists like, you know, Kirk Hammett, Marty Friedman, um, even Steve Vai and Joe Satriani and these guys. And I was, I was, I was like, oh, I could never do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, Kirk Hammett was my favorite for a lot of years. You know, Same here. I, I learned a lot. Of the sl- I, I learned Steve, the slow Steve solos, the fast ones. One
1: Who, uh, Steve Vai?
0: Yeah. What were you saying? Um, I was going to say, you know, with with Kirk Hammett, you know, I learned a lot of the simpler solos in the beginning, you know, like the first couple solos in, in one and then sanitarium and then fade to black. And then then I then I was like, all right, I'm going to learn the end solo in fade to black. Boy, I remember working on that solo, I think. I, eighth or ninth grade, I probably put eight hours in one day and I mean straight through no lunch, nothing and still didn't have it down but that was the day I realized that I had a little OCD in me cuz I could not stop thinking about it when I put the guitar down it was almost disturbing
1: <laughs> i remember back in those days sitting there I was trying to learn that song and I, I would kind of mess around with the solos a little bit but I never really knew what I was doing with them but just trying to learn the rest of the song all the the different riffs and the different changes in Fade to Black um and this was my acoustic and sitting in front of my my, tape, my stereo counter set to zero at the beginning of that song. So I could rewind back through it and play through it again like just oh, dozens and dozens of times. I can't count how many times I played through that song.
0: <laughs> I love the cassette rewinding. That's exactly how I did it. You play about five notes, press stop, play those five notes, rewind, play it again, try to play along with it maybe go a couple notes deeper the next time that that's how, that's how that day I told you about was, it was eight hours of that and and the tablature I did. I was fortunate enough to have the, the book of tablature. And um, I remember being done and trying to go in and sit down and watch TV with my grandpa. And all I could think of was going through my mind was third string, five, seven, eight, fourth string, five, six, nine. Like all I could think was the numbers of the tab. I couldn't even enjoy the movie we were watching. what kind of
1: guitar are you playing these days
0: um most of what i play now is on the acoustic um i have a uh a mart i forget what model it is it's like uh it's like a walnut um hollow you know a walnut acoustic guitar i play that mostly it's a cutaway and then i have a uh I just got one of those Epiphone SJ200. One of those—it's uh, a copy of the Gibson SJ200—and that's why I've been playing that quite a bit. It's actually a really nice guitar. Um, I wish it was a Gibson, but you know, the Epiphone's making a pretty nice copy of it. And then on the electric, I play—I have an SG, a Gibson SG—I just got a few months back. I play that a bit, and then I also play a Fender Strat. It just depends on the song. You know, obviously they all play a little bit differently. So different guitar, different song. So like the song, um, the song "Round and Round" that just came out. I recorded that song. I am playing the. So there's two guitar tracks on it. Uh, there's a guitar track that kind of has a little bit of a phaser in the background. That's an electric guitar. Yeah. That's the get. That's the Gibson SG. And then the acoustic guitars that are. The other acoustic track, thats uh, I did all that on my, Mar- on my Martin acoustic.
1: Very nice. I've got a and Martin. It's their Sigma line they made in the 70s. It's kind of like the Epiphone to the Gibson, but uh, they stopped making them in the, in the, around like 82, 83, something like that. I think mine's from like the late 70s, probably around 77, 78 range. Okay. It, I, I love that guitar. It's still my favorite one of them all. I don't play it that much, but it, its I love the tone to it.
0: It, yeah, you know, that's that's why I got this one. I loved the tone. I went to Guitar Center about, gosh, five or six years ago. I think about five years ago. And um went to Guitar Center. I was looking for a guitar. I hadn't been playing music much. And I kind of got away from music for a while. And um, I'm like, I, don't, I need I need a guitar. I want a guitar that I can start playing. And uh, I just happened to grab it off the sh- off the rack and started playing it. And, yep, this is the one. Well, come to find out they had just done the whole uh tune-up on it. So they had done, you know, the action correction. They had done new strings. And, I mean, l- literally that day they got done with it. So I got very lucky. So that guitar has been very good to me over the past few years. But I bought it because of the tone. The tone was amazing.
1: I believe it. Mine is, and i played a couple of those, and Every Martin I've ever played it was that way. I've got a. Gibson Maestro acoustic. It's a pretty cheap one here too, um, and it, it plays fine and it sounds good, but it just does not have the richness and tone of that Martin. I, I don't know what it is about it, but man, it sounds it just sounds great.
0: Yeah, I love mine. I love that one. So, and then on um, on casting stones, that song I play. Um. The drummer in the song, his name's Mike McQuaid. He's a, I've been friends with him since I was probably a freshman in high school. And uh, he actually, we do a lot of the recording down at his house, too. He has a studio set up at his place. And uh, he let me use his Fender Strat for that song. So I used that for the guitar tracks on that song. I believe I did three, the two rhythm tracks and then the, the lead track.
1: I never was a big Strat fan, but I've got one that I, I bought from a friend of mine years ago. It was used; she had gigged with it for many years, and it was pretty well beat up. And I took it apart, a great job on it later on. So <laughs> it looks more beat up than it did when I first got it. That's the <laughs> funny part about it. All that work make it look even more old and worn than it was originally. But um, it's it's my favorite playing guitar now. I love it.
0: Yeah, There's just something about a Strat, you know. I think the reason that it's so comfortable to me is because my first guitar was a it was a Strat copy. It was actually an Epiphone, uh, a red one with a white pick guard, and that was my first guitar. I was 13 when I got it, and uh, you know I played that guitar for two years, and then the next guitar I got was a, a Kramer that was a Strat style, and I just. It played that for years and it just, just got comfortable, you know? And then my, my buddy pulled this out and we were trying to record a song I'm like, Oh, let me try that out. Cause you know, all I had was a, a cheapy one. And then, and then I didn't even have the SG yet. And I played it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like I actually thinking about telling him I'm going to buy it off him. It just, it's so comfortable. It's so smooth and so effortless. And I think it's just cause that's kind of, you know, the foundation of where I started
1: My first electric was a was an SG I bought from a friend of mine in high school, I and mean, then I wound up selling it back to him before I left to go off to the Navy. I myself every day since wish I'd have kept that one.
0: <laughs> That's funny. I always wanted an SG. It took me thirty years to get one. I just got it in September, I think. I got one of the. Uh, I believe it's a sixty. It's a replica of the sixty one that uh, Santana played at Woodstock the that cherry red with a black pick guard and it's got the um the tremolo like set up in the back oh, gosh i don't know what that stuff's called but it's just it's a really nice guitar
1: yeah, the one i had was a, just a rigid bridge, but it was the red the, the black pick guard on the, on the cherry red body and it was it was nice except for the do you, do you notice a issue with neck dive like the neck wants to fall down you have to kind of hold it up because the weight that's what I always notice about SGs the most, the neck wants to like fall out fall down on you.
0: I do notice that. I noticed that and I also noticed that the way that the cutout is for your leg, like if you're sitting down, the neck is further uh further to the left. So I thought I was on the fifth fret and I was on the seventh. That was one issue that I had when I first picked it up.
1: It's like trying to get used to playing on a seven string. I have one of those, and your, your visual your visual point of reference is that top string, so you, you sometimes won't realize you're a whole string lower than what you're supposed to be.
0: Right, right. Yeah, gosh, I wouldn't even have thought of that. I've only messed around with those a couple times. I had a friend that had one, but gosh, you know, I'm sure if you have one and play it every day, I didn't even think about that. That'd be That'd be really weird, because now it's like, you want to play a low E power chord and it's like strumming an A.
1: Exactly. <laughs> but the beauty of it is you can still play it like a sixth string and you just reach up and kind of bar across that 7th string with your index finger. So you pick up the a, a, a 5 and the bass
0: right there. Oh, that's cool. It'll just fatten up
1: your tone. You know, if you're, like you're playing on your your, your power chord on your 4th and 5th strings and you can reach up and grab that 6th Let's just you pull a five in the base of your power cord there. Do the same thing on the seven string and just makes it a little richer tone.
0: Okay. Gosh, now you're making me want a seven string. We <laughs> have to try one of those out.
1: I've had it for like two years now and I'm I've picked it up and messed around with it once in a while, but I've never really done anything with it. I just it's just something I play with once in a while, just for fun.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's cool, man. I have to try one of those out.
1: And it's only a so, half step lower than what we play in typically in Astros kills because we play in all in drop C tuning. So.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, wow. You guys are down there quite a ways. Okay. That's cool, though.
1: One full step down, and then top string is another full step. So. Okay. Playing just regular tens on there on my guitar, and it, it just that top string wouldn't. Which it wouldn't hold tune hardly at all, on I mean, it, it just sounded muddy because there just wasn't enough mass to the string to to hold on to that low of a note. So, I had to bump it up and use the ten fifty three, ten fifty fours, you know, so that you know the, the lower end are tens, but the upper end are twelves or elevens, whatever it is. Okay. The, the lower three strings are a heavier gauge than the higher three strings.
0: Okay. Yeah, I guess, because we used to play, I was in a, like a, we were in like a, a grindcore, like a death metal band when I was like 16, 17, and we tuned down, I think it was around, around the same, around C, something like that, and I remember same, having the same problems, it was like, it would just be so muddy at points that I actually had to do the same thing and step up. I think I went to the where, even when my E string was like a 12 at a certain point.
1: hard to play on those ladder strings and you drop down that low they're just not not made to handle that kind of a tone
0: right right well not only that it's like you, you get your fingers get strong to a certain point and you start pushing too hard those strings they'll move and all of a sudden now you're playing a note just a little bit sharper than it should be you know because you're pushing up on it a little bit or down on it more than you should right, that's what i noticed my issue was
1: I've always but, had that issue. I've always tried to press too hard on the guitar, so I wound up pressing it too far down into the, the wood, and it winds up, it'll pull it slightly sharp doing that. And I, I fought against that since as long as I can remember. I'm finally getting a little bit better at it as a breeze. But yeah, it's one of those bad habits you get in early on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I had a problem with gripping the guitar too tight for a long time. It's just uh, it's easy to do, you know, I mean, you you think you're you're thinking so many things, not only that, but especially if you're playing in a band or a show or something, there's that stress of trying to get everything right, which can drift your attention from the finesse side of it. And uh, yeah, gosh, you run into that stuff all the time. And that was always me. You know, I was always thinking about what am I playing next rather than what am I playing now? And that would lead into problems with, with what I was I was playing at the time, you know. But uh, eventually you adjust.
1: Yeah, it's like when I'm in the middle of a song now, we're in the middle of our set. You asked me halfway through the song, what song is next? I'm like, hell, I don't know. <laughs> I have to look at my sheet. Unfortunately, the yep. singer always prints out a set list in real big fonts, so we lay it on the on the stage there. We
0: can see it. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you guys have you guys been able to play shows lately with the lockdown and everything? Just a or? couple, as
1: of late. Like, we had one back in October. We did one abbreviated show where we were kind of op- kicking off an open mic night. Um, most of the people that just show up and sign up to get on the open mic but we had, you know, the slot there to sh- kick off the show for the night. We did like six songs. And then we did one more on, the- on December 19th we did a show, and that was the only show we did last year.
0: Oh, wow. So is there nothing really going on right now or or I I you know, obviously being out here I'm not sure how Actually, how there is.
1: Yeah, there is. And there's like everybody's trying to book bands right now, so we're starting to try to book stuff out for like spring and points beyond that. We've wound up booking two shows on the same week in March already. So March the 18th and the 20th. will be. Oh, going. how
0: cool. And that's going to be in the Dallas area. Yeah, it's all around here. Okay.
1: Man, yeah, I'll tell you what,
0: I definitely would be up for, for getting out there to see, to see a show and maybe meet you guys, you know. I just, you know, my wife and I, we like just getting out of town and getting somewhere for a weekend, and that that would be a great opportunity to just pick up and go for a weekend and see some new music and get out of here. You know, can't do anything here.
1: Yeah, it's pretty well locked down out there from what I hear, huh?
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, obviously, because I'm in construction, I don't have any issues because construction was, they deemed us essential work, so I have not <laughs> had any time away in the entire lockdown but uh, aside from that if you're going to go eat at a restaurant if they even offer dine-in it's outside they have all people all have these big tents set up in their parking lots so that's the only way so other than that you're not doing anything i mean they're even keeping people out of church so churches are doing outdoor service they're doing uh, you know obviously no movie theaters no concerts even my son's baseball games is you know, the kids have to wear a mask into the dugout, and it's very far and few in between that they get to play, and we have to sit, you know, we're supposed to spread out and wear masks, and it's it, It's quite a deal here right now.
1: Yeah, I've heard a lot about like, especially like, L.A. has been locked down like crazy as of late, again, recently, as from what I hear, and I don't know if they ever really opened up very much to begin with, but...
0: There was a very short period in July where it's we, everyone thought things were going to open up, so they started opening up for about three weeks, and then uh, the numbers spiked again, so they shut everything down real quick. So it was only about three or four weeks that we even had an inkling of 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 the lockdown, you know, coming to an end or or even you know subsiding a little bit.
1: Here it was. It started in March, so it was probably into J- May. and started easing a little bit, then on into June when they finally started reopening some restaurants at like a 50% capacity max. And, and they eased it back up to 75% for a while, and it had to come back off that some. And it's back and forth. But restaurants have been open. Bars were not able to open here until. Uh, probably some in August. Oh, wow. September. You know, a lot of them just wound up not making it through.
0: Yeah, we're losing a lot of local businesses right now. I'm not going to lie. It's unfortunate.
1: Dressers and um, just name it. All, tons of little local retail shops just not, not making it it's sad.
0: But. Yeah, people work a lifetime to, you know, they work a lifetime to get a, a business going and, finally say this has been my dream i'm finally going to do it and all of a sudden something like this happens and now they can't even keep their doors open it's like what are you supposed to do you know it's just uh it's really sad to see you know that's why i'm fortunate for construction that you know we've been considered essential because we fortunately you know my reputation we do we do some you know a lot of high-end clients and and most the high-end clients that i deal with it's funny I see the patterns you know now I still am getting the same amount of work from them but it's not their kitchen and their entertainment center anymore it's it's a desk it's uh you know stuff cabinets and woodwork that they need to use for daily life because now their kids are at home for school uh you know honestly I've done probably four or five bars in the last you know six and it's because people are like well if I can't go out then let's just bring it here you know so and it's when uh.
1: Working at home, they have to have their their uh day drinking apparatus.
0: Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, they need me to build them a desk and to build them a place to put their keg. You know.
1: Exactly. <laughs> you can do me a desk with a kegerator in
0: it. Yeah, I haven't had that one yet. That's not a bad idea. Maybe like a wine drawer in the exactly. d- in the office. <laughs>
1: exactly. One that's chilled for whites and one that's room temperature for reds. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, haven't done that one yet, but I can't say it ain't coming though.
1: Only because nobody's thought to ask for it yet. Maybe you need to put the word out. Of the <laughs> <laughs> I'll
0: just make one and put a, you know, put a video of that up on on uh, social media. Probably get some requests for it pretty quick.
1: I have fifteen of them sold in an hour. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, I hope y'all get to open things back up. And if you, anytime y'all want to come down, come out this way, just holler at me. I'll I'll set you up and I'll I'll try to like, you know, make sure I have a few things to point you at. Other things to do while you're here in town and
0: whatnot. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, we came down there and uh, we end up going to a little street. I don't even remember the name of it. What was it called? It was over on the east side of downtown, just a little bit northeast of downtown.
1: Greenville Avenue.
0: That may have been it. There was like, there was a, uh, that may have been it. There was, um, it
1: was like a little theater there and a bunch of little uh, bars and shops and stuff.
0: Yeah, the streets, they ran east to west. Uh-huh. And then we were up. yeah, like we went to one bar where we went upstairs and we sat up there and had beers on the roof basically looking towards downtown yeah that, that was great we really enjoyed that that was a lot of fun yeah, that,
1: was, that was uh lower greenville was what it's referred to okay i used to live about five minutes from there
0: okay yeah it was a lot of fun a lot of fun down there oh. i i we we even mentioned wanting to go back to you know do something like that again but man it'd be great to get out there and you know if you guys are doing a show or something be able to see you guys play a show and have and a few beers afterwards,
1: area. and over here on the west side in Fort Worth, where I'm at now, there's a like the Fort Worth Stockyards, which is a similar type of area. There is a big like rodeo arena there, but then there's like a, a strip through there, with a lot of little bars and restaurants and shops and stuff like that. It's during the daytime, it's fun, it's family-oriented. And There's kind of like a nighttime scene that goes on there later in the evening, and then Billy Bob's Texas. Used to be like the biggest, uh, what they call honky tonk back in the day <laughs> in, the, in, okay. in te- Texas. Right, right there as well. So it's a lot of, it's more kind of geared to the, the cowboy scene over there in that part. But, so it's a little different than the Dallas side. It's kind of interesting them to little like you know make it feel like old school Texas used to be. <laughs>
0: okay, yeah. <laughs> I get
1: that experience. Matter of fact, I'm thinking about taking my daughter down there. They're having like it's like the 135th anniversary of the Fort Worth Stockyards this, this weekend, so I'm thinking we're probably gonna go down there, during the day on Saturday
0: or something, to check it out. Now, did they do that cattle run there? Is that where they do that? Yep. yep yeah, it. someone was telling me to get over to that, but we ended up missing it the one night we were there. Do they do that every day? No,
1: I think they. are only certain times they do that, but I'm not really sure. I haven't actually caught that. I've only seen images of it myself.
0: Okay, that's they probably might, why we missed it then. There you are, must are like not some
1: pins right there, but they have they have like just a, a few that they take down the street. Because I remember walking through the pins where they had a bunch of them, like, I guess they had done it earlier in the day, in the evening when I was there. They might do that daily, I don't know. Well,
0: hey, it's definitely a way to attract people, you know, especially tourists. Obviously, if you live there and you've seen it once, you've seen it a thousand times, but... Someone like me, that's something you want to go see once in a while, you know?
1: Those of us that are born and raised in Texas that try to shake that stigma.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I could see that too. Definitely.
1: It's not quite as bad now, but I remember my mom talking about when they moved to Florida for just a brief while when I was really, really little. And like people in like South Florida really, literally thought people in Texas still rode horses everywhere. <laughs> Oh, we all traded in our horses for pickup trucks, man. What did you, don't you keep up with times? Yeah, the time, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yep. We ought to get wrap this up here pretty soon. You can get on the rest of your evening. I'm sure
0: all right. You know, I'm, no, I'm in no rush, but yeah. I, no. I appreciate, you know, just even the conversation. I appreciate, you know, mentioning the songs. It's, uh. You know, the Louisiana Project. It's the uh, casting yeah. stones and round and round. And, um, they
1: can find the Louisiana Project on Instagram.
0: Yep. On Instagram, I did change the name. It used to be Double J's Music, but I changed it to uh, the Louisiana Project. The username is TLP Band. And then um haven't transferred over the Facebook stuff yet, but they can find that on Double J on Facebook. Uh that's Everything. To
1: do. sometimes they don't like you changing the name. No, they made me open another
0: page, it. and I just haven't I know finished uh, it yet. Yeah, so eh, it's not.
1: They don't understand that some people change their branding name. But, but, right,
0: uh, or even, even the decision process that it actually goes into to deciding on it. It's like, yeah, sometimes people jump the gun, and 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 then all of a sudden it's like, ah, that wasn't right. I need to redo it, and all of a sudden you got to, you can't go backwards. You just got to start over, and yep. makes it more difficult if you got you know. Hundred people or whatever, you know, following you, or a couple hundred people, it makes it more difficult because they got to try to get them all to come over to the next ones. Exactly. So. It's
1: not like they actually see your post. They they follow your page on on Facebook. I've, you know, you're lucky if ten percent of the people that follow your page actually see what you post.
0: Right, right. I mean, it has to be good timing. You know. Yeah.
1: I think it's more like three or five percent, three to five percent of them, yeah.
0: Oh, wow. I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's slow. So. <laughs>
1: Unless they have notifications turned on. Otherwise, they're unlikely to see your stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and then you had mentioned that other website to help manage all of the streaming services. See, I'm new to this. I've been a musician my whole life. Oh, yeah. but Yeah, uh, that was
1: Linktree I was telling you about earlier. That's
0: right. Oh, Yeah, yeah I'm going to. Linktree, I think. I think it's Linktree. Linktr.ee
1: or something like that it's funny how they they if you just google link tree it'll come up but you can just put all your links to like all your spotify apple music and amazon music and even your your instagram and your facebook pages and all that stuff in there and then you have one link you share in your bio so that they can wherever whatever service people use they can find you, you
0: okay link. yeah see that's i need i i need to do that i i uh you know, I'm not super savvy. I actually been asking my 14-year-old son to look at it and kind of, you know, give me some pointers. I, I've done a lot of, you know, research, obviously, learning the different avenues to use, but still very new at it. And now realizing that there's a way to connect a lot of it, It's, it, that's a whole nother, whole nother road. But I'm trying to, you know, get as savvy as I can as quick as I can, trying to, you know, strike while the iron's hot, I guess, you know, while it's got a little bit of momentum here.
1: Ride it while you can
0: Yeah, so We got uh, I'm going So I guess I talk a little bit more about The songs Is that cool? Or Absolutely Alright, so um, I know you'll edit all this together So I'll just give you more content But uh, We're Recording A full album I just released the two songs Because we didn't really have much of a following And I wanted to Just start to kind of First of all, get the people who've known i played music my whole life interested again on top of the new people, which is actually working how I had hoped it would work. And so we're recording a full album. So I actually have another 10 to 12 songs that we will be releasing. Um, I'm going to do one more single in probably a week or two. Haven't decided on which one it is, but I'll definitely reach out and let you know as soon as I do. And then after that, we will uh, release a full album. My target date is March 1st, but there's a good chance that may push back to March 15th. And that album should end up having about 12 tracks on it. We're recording it with uh, a guy named Antoine Arvizu. And um, most people don't know him by name, but everybody's probably heard his work. He was one of the co-engineers on um, 40 Ounces of Freedom for Sublime. So I I met him through a cousin of mine and, uh, he's actually doing the majority of the, of the engineering and final mixing on, on our album. So he's, uh, he's, uh, been a huge asset. I mean, he just, he's got great insight and, uh, it is kind of cool. He's kind of a little bit of a mentor, you know? So it's really kind of cool to pick his brain and, and have somebody like that on your side. It's pretty exciting. So we're hoping that that will, uh, be ready to release uh, mid March. Did I lose
1: you?
0: Hello? Got you now? No. Bill? Hello? Hello? Bill? (laughs) Okay, well, I can't hear you. I just saw your message. Well, hopefully you can still hear me, so I appreciate you letting me. Okay, that sounds good.